full of fragrance from John chapter 12 verses 1 to 11. And as you probably uh, have picked up, we are going to resume our series in the Gospel of John that we stopped sometime in December last year. So it's taken us six months to get started, but part of, part of the reason was that I, I wanted to leave a bit of a gap after Easter because we are going in, in the passage before us, we are going before Easter. So just not to get you confused, okay? So stay with me. All right. Now, the story we have before us is told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, even though they do tell it from a slightly different perspective and have a different emphasis. And the story deals with a few issues that we as Christians face. Not just the follower of God in this generation, but the follower of God in every generation. The question is, how much do I love God? How much do I love Jesus to the point that I'm, I'm willing even to be embarrassed to the point that people think that I'm an absolute weirdo? What is acceptable prim and proper behaviour for a Christian? Isn't there a better use of our resources? We live in a performance-driven world. And we, it's not just in the sports field, it's in our personal life and uh, it's in the studies and in the business world. People want to get ahead. And this performance-driven style has impacted the way that we live our Christian life as well. And and Christians are often critical of the behaviours of other Christians. Not only that, but they're also critical of their own acts, of their own own insecurities. I've had conversations with Christians who seek to honour God, to live for him in word, not just in what they say, but in how they live, in word and deed. Yet they feel that they have nothing good that they can offer, that they can contribute. And, and, and then that they just pull back and they basically feel incapable of, of pleasing God. So they just shut themselves in. Yet as I read the Bible, and there are heroes and heroines of the Bible, and they come in all, in all colours, in all shapes and sizes, and their life is, is there for us to see. The Bible tells their story with no, it doesn't pull any punches. Now, the woman in today's scripture is a prime example of this. Her name was Mary and she was singled out by Jesus to be mentioned wherever the gospel is preached. And this is the highest of honours indeed, not just because Jesus said it, but it is, it is a story that Jesus intended to be told for generations and down into history. 
And that is exactly what we're doing right now. So let us, let us go into the passage before us and look, first of all, at the setting. Now, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then jump to the end of the passage, which are verses 9 to 11. And then we'll treat the middle, uh, the middle part soon. So this is what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here was the dinner given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then in verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. It is Saturday night in Bethany a small village on just the outskirts of Jerusalem. From what we know, from the way it is described in the Gospel, Bethany was a happy and safe place for Jesus. A place he could hang out with his friends, Lazarus, Martha and Mary. Most of the people there we're not aware but tonight is the last happy evening that Jesus will know. Tomorrow he begins his final journey to the cross where he will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Soon he will cleanse the temple, curse the fig tree, teach in the temple courts and confront the rising tide of hatred hatred from religious leaders and the crowd that eventually turns against him. From the other Gospels, we learn that the dinner was in the home of of a man called Simon, otherwise known as Simon the leper or Simon the Pharisee. He was called a leper, but it appears that even though the Bible doesn't say it, He was most probably healed by Jesus and as an act of thankfulness for his healing, he throws a party in honour of Jesus. It also seems to be happening because word got around quite a bit that uh, all over the place that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and it stirred up the village of Bethany and the surrounding countryside. So here we are at this dinner party. One is healed from leprosy, the other one healed from death itself. What were the topics of conversation? How's the leprosy going? Has it come back yet? No, no, I'm pretty right. Yeah, yeah, look, you know, it's pretty good, bro. Another one. So, what about you, Lazarus? What happened during those four days, man? You were gone, eh? Like, you were starting to smell, man. Like, you were fully sick, bro. Really sick. Uh, Yeah, what happened? So you can imagine the dinner conversations, I know. It might be a bit off-putting for the dinner table. And these are the people inside the house 
But then there are the people outside, so they're peering through the window, they're trying to get a glimpse, maybe even a bit of a hole through the roof to see what's going on. While others are starting to plot. They've been plotting for a while now to get Jesus. But now they're starting to plot against Lazarus to kill him. Hang on. This guy just rose from the dead. Don't you think he can do it again? We're going to kill him again and again. He's just going to come back to life, mate. It's a bit weird, right? This guy just came from death to life and we're going to kill him again. Yeah, that's right. While they might be pondering these things, someone was about to do something extraordinary. We look at Mary. There's a few Marys in the Bible, as you might have gathered. But uh, in South America, just about half the women are called Mary as well. So it's, it's about, yeah, it's about right. There's, there's quite a few Marys all over the place. But this is one of the Marys. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Her sister Martha was serving. Martha was always serving. She loved to serve. She had the gift of hospitality. And so while Martha was serving, Mary, impetuous Mary, comes out of nowhere, unannounced, holding in her hand some very expensive perfume. How expensive? Well, it tells us here that what, it was about a year's wage. Let's say that in today's money it is worth about $70,000. Wow. Wow. 70 grand. Without seeking permission from anyone, not her siblings, no one, she broke it and poured the whole, he poured, poured the whole, she poured the whole thing at Jesus' feet. And John says that the fragrance filled the house. Now I'm sure it smelled absolutely wonderful. It ought to smell good for that kind of money, right? At the very least we can say that this is one of those actions which then and today conflicts with tradition and accepted behaviour. What on earth were you thinking? Is it too much? Well, it depends who you're referring to. Or what is it you're referring to? Was it her behaviour? Was it the amount of money that was spent We could use words like extravagant, over the top, even reckless. That's certainly how the people who were there saw it, 
the disciples. Let's, let's make a couple of points. First of all, the occasion. The occasion. She seems to know that the time of Jesus' death on the cross was at hand. This is a fact that somehow escaped the disciples in spite of the fact that Jesus had spoken about this many times by now. He clearly told them so. F.B. Meyer, the great preacher, wrote about this, uh, about her and said, probably of all his followers, Mary alone had understood his references to his death and that she could not be present to perform the last offices of love, she rendered them in advance. Remember that it was Mary who sat at Jesus' feet listening and meditating to his words while Martha was in the kitchen cooking and Martha even complained, Jesus, tell her to come and help me. Here Martha is, again, she's serving. We all need Martha's, otherwise there won't be any pizzas, there won't be any drinks. We need somebody to put the party together. So let's, we're not going to pick on Martha, okay? It's not pick on Martha day because we need Martha. But Martha, Martha's thoughts and feelings and everything, like the rest of the disciples, they were missing a very important truth that Jesus was teaching them. He taught them, teaching them. He, re- he said to them that he was going to die, he was going to rise again. He spoke about it. It wasn't a big secret. I ask myself, how often do we miss spiritual truths because we're focused on other things? We're busy, 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 busy doing things when the treasure is, is the moment is right there. The occasion is now. Forget about everything else. Focus on this. She came beforehand to anoint and prepare his body and the other Gospels tell us because afterward others would come. That, that is the implication that beforehand because it implies that there will be others who will be doing it afterwards. Now this is quite significant. She was covering his, his precious body with this valuable, precious ointment. Sure, like I said, others would come afterwards, like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and even the ladies on that Resurrection Sunday. They were carrying a whole bunch of stuff to anoint Jesus' body. But guess what? Mary gets to do it beforehand. Beforehand. Timing is very important. Why? Because we are mortal beings. Time is precious. I cannot go back to what I just said. I can repeat it, but the moment has already passed. The clock has already ticked over. The seconds are already marching in one direction. Unless you can come up with time travel, we cannot go back. 
We are mortal beings. Time is precious. Now, if the rest of the guests had been, let's say, attending Jesus' funeral rather than dinner with him, they might have reacted a little bit differently. Yet, when Mary showed him this extravagant love while he was still alive, she was chastised for such a waste. A valuable lesson for us is that we need to break out our best for the living. All too often, and I have witnessed this, I have seen it, I have done a lot of funerals, I have held the hand of many who have lost loved ones, amazing how often we wait until someone has died to start to show some appreciation that we failed to show while they were alive. Catch up time. Is there someone who comes to your mind, a friend, a family member who would be honoured, encouraged lifted up, overwhelmed by an expression of your love and appreciation. It might even be totally undeserved. It usually is. Do something about it. And you've probably got all these pictures coming to your head right now. Do something about it. Tomorrow it might be too late. While the person is still alive, break some of that ointment. Break it up. Let, let it make a difference to, to the ambience, to the, to the place. Let the fragrance fill the room, even through the phone line. Even through a message, through a letter. Show your appreciations to the living. The time is now. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. Tomorrow, like I said, might be too late. Secondly, what did she do? She declared publicly, not privately, she declared publicly her devotion for Jesus. It was an act of gratitude in worship. Because you see, Jesus had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. He had recently done that. This is pretty fresh, right? And when Mary saw Jesus raise her brother, remember the conversation on the way to the tomb, before the tomb, and only you had been here, you weren't here, he's dead. And, and Jesus said, look, I am the way, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, I'm right here, I'm right here. This is who I am. And as they, they witnessed their, their brother coming out of the tomb, it revealed to her and everybody else that Jesus was much more than a teacher or a prophet. She knew he had the power, he had the authority, and this could only come from God. 
because he was God. So Mary's gift, as expensive as it was, didn't seem that extravagant at all. It wasn't over the top. And she was, she was going to be one of Jesus' witnesses, not afraid of the criticism, the mockery of others. There are many, like today, who will criticise, who will mock us, they will laugh at us, particularly on matters of our faith, when we throw it out there that we are Christians, that this is what we believe and this is what God calls us to live by in the Scriptures. Yes, according to the world, we are fools, maybe even widows. But if we, like Mary, make sitting at the feet of Jesus, offering our best to him, then nothing else matters. Our service must always be, not to the crowds, our service is to an audience of one, for his glory. Thirdly, just following on from that point, is that she was unashamed. She was willing to violate the customs of the day and honour Jesus. Now, a woman would not normally sit at a man's feet, it just didn't happen, much less let down her hair in public and certainly, certainly not wipe his feet with her hair. This is, what? Are you nuts? That's embarrassing. What were you thinking? Come on, just get her a sponge or something. Just don't make a fool of yourself. In a way, it was a very private act, but performed in front of everybody else. Now, if everything I say and do seems perfectly comprehensible to the world, then I actually need to do some soul-searching. The world would say that Mary was reckless and financially irresponsible in what she did. I wonder if the world would ever say that about me. What is it that makes me any different from anybody else in the way I manage my finances, in the way I, I speak and behave? Am I just like everybody else? I'm just trying to fit in. I'm not standing out from the crowd. Maybe that's a little bit too close for comfort, which is exactly one reason why this story is in the Bible to encourage the rest of us to not be ashamed. The Apostle Paul said, fools, we are fools, fools for Christ. Now let's look at Judas. But one of his disciples, this is from verse 4, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. 
Now, he didn't say this. This is John's commentary. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John points out that Judas objected to this wasteful extravagance. And in, when Matthew and Mark um, tell the story, they say it wasn't just Judas, but it was the other disciples as well. They were indignant that Mary could spend so much on perfume that was just poured out, wasted at Jesus' feet. Maybe the conversation around the dinner table went something like, where did she get the money from? Don't tell me that came down the family like the fifth generation and it was only to be opened up on this special occasion. She broke it. What was she thinking? All of her life savings. Gone. Just like that. She could have bought an investment property. She could have held up for retirement. She could have gone on a first class trip around the world. Or as Judas suggested, she could have given it to the poor. Today, this is known, maybe you've heard the expression, virtue signalling. What is it? The term refers to making a statement or performing an action that implies that you are virtuous, more virtuous than anyone else. You are better. You are above it. You are actually better than anyone here, anybody else. Virtue signalling is also when you say and do things to look good in the eyes of others. So you go out there on a mission, you're feeding the poor and out comes the smartphone and click and you put it on Facebook. That is virtue signalling, that you're doing something, you're, you're blowing your trumpet so that everybody else can see what you are doing. It appears that Judas was good at virtue signalling. According to him and many today, Mary's use of the uh, expensive perfume was a terrible waste. I'm, I feel sorry for, for, for Judas in, in one way. Um, all those years at least three years with Jesus and he still didn't get it. How can you be so close to the fire and not feel the warmth? Right? How can you stand there and he doesn't have a transformational aspect in your life where you, you are different? What happened, Judas? It, it is... It is sad. Think about this, that he had the greatest teacher. He had the greatest miracle worker. He saw it all. He had the greatest leader. 
he had the greatest pastor. The greatest example that one could ever hope for. Role model. And the list goes on and on. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, I think he was getting, starting to get disillusioned with Jesus. And, and, and it's interesting that even at this late point in the story, no one had any reason to suspect of his coming betrayal. Remember that when John wrote this gospel, he didn't write it then. He wrote it quite a few decades later. And so he's looking back at the events and says, how come we didn't pick it up? No one suspected his betrayal. Yet something inside him was changing. He was beginning to think that this man was not the person that he was hoping he was going to be. And this was affecting the way that Judas looked at everything, critically everything that Jesus said and did. He was misinterpreting. He was getting warped in his view of the Messiah. But of course, as John John points out, his virtue signalling was all for show. He also had other skills like handling money. And it was in handling money that temptation got the better of him. John tells us that Judas was lining up his own pocket. Now, we looked so far at Mary, we looked at Judas. So, what are the... Let's just highlight some of the fundamental differences between one attitude and, and the other. Firstly, Judas spent a lot more time with Jesus and yet he didn't get him. Mary spent a lot less time with Jesus, but whatever time she spent with him was going to, to be doubly precious. She was going to take advantage of absolutely every second. I'm not going to waste my time making pizzas. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be here listening, totally devoted to him. This is devotion. This is worship. And whenever anyone becomes extravagant in their worship, the devil stirs up trouble. As Mary worships, Judas speaks up and tries to ruin the beautiful moment. It was Satan trying to change the subject. If he can stop our worship, he'll get us arguing among ourselves about this, about that, peripherals, when ultimately it's about Jesus. The next point is that Mary loved Jesus, Judas loved money. And you can't love Jesus and love money at the same time. You have to choose. You have to choose. You will hate one and love the other. Matthew 6.24 We know that we know the choice that Mary made and we know the choice that Judas made. Here is a, a girl who blows $70,000 on Jesus and just a couple of days later there would be Judas for 30 pieces of silver which was about a month, less than a month's wage, three weeks worth of labour. He was going to betray his master. 
Does value matter? So I wonder what choice we have made. Hopefully our faith is not a mere 30 pieces of silver. Now we look at Jesus. Jesus said, leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus' response shows that he, he more than welcomes Mary's extravagance. But, but this response by Jesus would not, would not have made much sense at that moment. The, the disciples wouldn't understand at that moment they would have to reflect, looking back years later, through the eyes of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now if you read his response one way, it, it makes Jesus seem almost callous, uncaring, doesn't it? That he doesn't care about the poor. But what Jesus is doing is actually alluding to Deuteronomy 15.11. And in Deuteronomy 15.11 it says, There will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you. You must, be willing, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. As if Jesus is saying, don't use your phony compassion as an excuse to criticise Mary. The law commands you to show kindness to the poor. You are always to care for them. Nothing is stopping you from taking your money and giving it to them right now. You will have a chance to do it today, you will have a chance to do it tomorrow and the day after. You will always have the poor to help. And here is Jesus' declaration, which is not found in John. It's found in Matthew, in Matthew's version. Um, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And even as Jesus spoke these words, the fragrance came out of the bottle, started to fill the house, the windows were open, a wind current came through and he carried it to the neighbours and the whole, suddenly the whole street could smell the sweet, sweet fragrance that was there. It's not just a place. The act carried on in history. Her act has been told time and time again and exactly what we're doing right now. Remembering the act of Mary. Amazing gift. Amazing gift. Final thoughts. Don't let anyone tell you to back off your love for Jesus. Don't let anyone talk you into being reasonable in your joy. Don't let anyone talk you into playing it safe in what you sacrifice for the Lord and in your Christian witness. How much is too much love for Jesus? 
We don't know. It is actually that we have no no category for that. You can't measure it. It's it's all, isn't it? There's no such thing as too much. It will never be enough. You just you just can't do it. This is why I want to I want to leave you with the words from Isaac Watts. We sung just after communion. Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small, or an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's how much we are to love Jesus. Amen.